0: Running. We have a it's nine after the hour. I'm Eric Erickson. This is atlantis evening news on WSB. Let, let me just deal with this story on Jason Spencer real quick. He he needs to resign. Uh, he's, he's lost his runoff. Um, him staying just gives the Democrats more ammunition to attack the Republicans in a, what's going to be a very nasty general election. Uh, there's no point in him staying because he's lost. He, he's not going to be back next year anyway. Uh, but more than that, he needs to resign, uh, because of his lack of judgment. I, I, who just for, for the purposes of this discussion, let's ignore his language. Let's just acknowledge that when someone you've never heard of shows up and claims to be filming a video and they need you to drop your pants and use the N-word, a red flag should be going off in your head. And if they're not, uh, there's something wrong there. And he should resign. At the same time, can we all acknowledge that both parties threatening to file an ethics complaint against him is, is garbage? I mean that undermines the entire ethics process. He's an elected representative. He did something insane, and the ethics laws should not apply to him doing uh, dropping his pants on TV and, and using the N word. If I understand the situation right in that regard, I, and I do believe I do. No, I I no I haven't watched the video because I don't want to watch the video. I, I don't I don't want to watch that. I don't want to watch watch a man uh, make a fool of himself. On international television. This has become an international story. um, When he's clearly not. Bright enough to have realized. uh, This is not something that you do. And I listen. I'm sorry. I I realize there are defenders out there today. God bless you. But when someone you've never heard of. Puts a camera in your face. And asks you to drop your pants. And and do what he did. You should have enough of an inner monologue. Within your head to say. "Eh, eh warning, warning, danger, Will Robinson, danger. I mean, come on. He should resign just for being an idiot. I just, I'm, this, this is, it's, I think it's inappropriate to use the ethics laws to try to chase him out of office. Because there is that undermines, I think, the entirety of the ethics laws, essentially saying, oh, if either or both parties gets upset because you've done something stupid, uh, we'll let the ethics officers chase you out of office, even though you've done nothing illegal. Um, that undermines the ethics laws. But, 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 but he's, he's an idiot for doing this. He should go. I mean, he's brought embarrassment on himself and his family. He's brought embarrassment on his party. He's provided the Democrats in Georgia who already literally want to blow up Stone Mountain uh, more opportunity to attack Republicans. Uh, He should resign and take himself out of the line of fire and take the party out of the line of fire as well. Not that he has any loyalty to the party because they didn't have any loyalty to him. They defeated him in the primary after all. But again, they defeated him in the primary. So, why not uh, go on now? Go home and lay low for a while and maybe come back later and rebuild your reputation in the state. But for now, you just need to disappear for a little while. Now, I told y'all last week that uh, the one thing that we could be most assured, Uh, is that the president was going to change the conversation from Vladimir Putin and Russia to something else. And he has managed to do that two times over. One with his all-caps tweets about Iran facing something very few nations in world history have ever faced. They continue to tangle with us. Everyone, uh, left, right, and center, is taking that to mean nuclear war anyone who really thinks nuclear war is going to happen, that President Trump is going to declare nuclear war, is going to start a nuclear war, you're, you're out of your mind. The president is not going to launch a nuclear war against Iran. I know some of you think so, but you also think he's the second coming of Hitler, so your opinion is not valid to begin with. He is not going to launch a nuclear war. The second thing he's done, though, is to threaten to yank security clearances of James Clapper and uh, Andrew McCabe and James Comey and several others. And the media this afternoon is the president's petty blacklist. That's actually one of the headlines out there. The president's petty blacklist. And yet again, the media is going off the deep end to savage the president for punishing his critics. Oh, Okay. Am I the only one who is surprised that these people still have security clearances? I mean, James Comey and Andrew McCabe don't. You should know James Comey and Andrew McCabe. Their security clearances were yanked. Andrew McCabe's because he was escorted out of the building. James Comey because he was fired. But Clapper and Michael Hayden and a few others have them. Now, Michael Hayden, who was the CIA director under George W. Bush, says... He doesn't go to security briefings anymore anyway, doesn't affect what he says, doesn't affect what he thinks. It's not going to affect his life one way or the other. Clapper, on the other hand, is all upset about it. Clapper is one of the guys who's been out there savaging the president. I've actually got some friends. I, I'm I'm not endorsing this position, but I actually have some friends who have bought into the theory that this Christopher Steele dossier, we'll get into that with Carter Page here in a little bit that this Christopher Steele dossier was a setup by James Clapper who wanted to have something on Donald Trump and the the so-called insurance policy. Clapper set all of this stuff up in Europe trying to find dirt on the president. Now, I would say that is immediately disputable by the fact that how did the guy get elected? Why did none of this stuff leak to ruin him before the election? It all came out afterwards. But nonetheless, there are people who buy that. And, and what I certainly buy about James Clapper is he's a deeply partisan individual, has shown himself to be a deeply partisan individual, and there really is no reason for him to have a security clearance. Now, anyway, he's out of government. He doesn't need a security clearance. So why does he still have one? Nonetheless, what's going on this afternoon is completely and totally predictable. The media is outraged that the president is attacking his critics. The media is demanding the president reverse course. The left has lost their mind over it. The left has just gone completely insane over this entire situation, uh, demanding that the president walk it back, demanding that Congress impeach him yet again for something else. Sarah Sanders, of course, is confirming the president's considering this. And all it's done is gotten everybody to move beyond the Russia story. Not a bad thing, you know, moving beyond the Russia story. He apologized, said he misspoke, corrected the record and moved on himself. The entire chatter over the weekend in in Washington was about this. I do have to tell you, um, one thing that I do think is notable here is that in the last week, I have had... more conversations with Republican members of Congress and uh, politicos in Washington than in the past two years over. Does Russia have something about the president? That's one of the lingering side effects of his misspeaking on last Monday. And I'm going to take him at his word that he misspoke. I am. I'm going to take him at his word. One of the lingering side effects of it though, is that lots of Republicans in Washington are starting to wonder if Russia really does have something. Is there a P tape? I've had that question asked. So many times in the past week, members of Congress, Republican political strategists, there are people in the White House who are suddenly befuddled and wondering what Russia has on the president. Let's just take him at his word that he misspoke and move on. There there's nothing that we know of in public. Maybe there will be something in public. Who knows? If he keeps cracking down on Russia way more than Barack Obama, maybe the Russians will do something. But nonetheless. The president has decisively shifted the conversation today to Iran, which just highlights how bad Barack Obama was on the issue, and to the intelligence officers who continue to leak and smear him, which yet again plays to his base. He's moved the conversation beyond Russia in a way no one else could. That's not necessarily a bad thing politically for him. It's probably fairly smart of him to do. Probably people at the White House today sat around thinking, hmm, what can we do to get the media to move past the Russia story? Oh, hey, I know. Let's yank security clearances. And yet again, the media falls for it. We'll be back. It is Eric Erickson here. Welcome. The full number, 404-872-0750, wsb talk I got to MC the Pence event with Brian Kemp on Saturday. I, I was not intending to, you should know. I am supporting Brian Kemp. I, I do plan on voting for him tomorrow. Didn't, didn't early vote in this race. I'm uh, going to vote for Brian Kemp, and they asked me if I would do the voiceover work. The, the Secret Service wasn't allowing people to stay behind the stage or to announce on stage that uh, the vice president or whatnot, so they just asked me to come down on Saturday to the Macon Coliseum and record the just ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the stage. George's next governor, Brian Kemp and his family, that, that thing to play overhead as he was coming on stage. So I was like, okay, sure. Yeah, I'll do that. And then I'm going to go meet Christine, the kids for lunch. So drove down there, uh, hadn't had breakfast or lunch, but I was going to record that and leave. And then it says, so can you emcee the event? <laughs> okay. So I wound up, um, staying until about 630. And mc the event, uh, had a number of speakers, uh, and I got to tell you, uh, I have a newfound respect for Bubba McDonald, who I have referred to. He was kind enough to remind me. I have referred to him on this here show as Methuselah, the the Public Service Commission Chairman. He sang the national anthem a cappella. It he did a really good job. He was very, very, very modest about it. um, he did a very good job. They told me I was going to introduce him for the national anthem, and I assumed there was going to be a recording, and then he was going to give a little speech. Uh, no, he sang the national anthem, and he did an amazing job. So if you know Bubba McDonald, the chairman of the Public Service Commission, I mean, I don't put him on the spot, but um, you, you just you know this little bit of trivia. He can sing the national anthem uh which is not an easy song to sing to begin with and he did it and did a very good job of it uh david clark state representative david clark was there uh, and spoke clay tippins jan jones from the state house was there um the speaker of the house david ralston was there but didn't speak uh, he said the vice president asked him to come and then jody heiss uh spoke uh jody heiss and brian kemp came with the vice president on uh air force two i believe yeah they, they flew from air force two from chattanooga i believe kemp had had an event up in the north part of the state but in any event it was a great event they were expecting 500 people 1,500 people showed up at the macon coliseum it was slam packed and they had to chase the poor ladies of the order of the eastern star out of there to get everybody in it was it was a good event when we come back what's happening on the ground in that race It's 38 after the hour. Eric Erickson here. The phone lines are open. 404 872 750 WSB talk. I want to spend some time on the other uh, races. I, I will get into Cagle and Kemp real quick. But listen, um, I've been asked repeatedly... In the last 72 hours, in fact, when I was at the Kemp Pence event, people kept asking me who I was voting for, lieutenant governor and secretary of state I'm voting for David Schaefer for lieutenant governor. And um, he is seeing a barrage of out of state money come in after him. I think David Schaefer is a, a perfectly fine guy and I've known him for a long time. I know he's a conservative and so I'm supporting him. I, I I'm not going to disparage Jeff Duncan. I I don't know Jeff Duncan. I have a ton of friends who think very highly of him. I've had a number of people say you got to you got to go on the warpath. You got you got to attack the. I I I don't know him. And everyone I know who knows him thinks the world of him. So I'm not going to disparage a guy I don't know who all of my friends who do know him think he's great. I am just going to tell you, I do know David Schaefer, and I am glad to support him. And if you're not sure who to support tomorrow, you won't regret voting for David Schaefer. Now, the other race is Secretary of State. I, I do not know Brad Raffensperger. This is another situation. This is nothing against him. I have met David Isle a couple of times. He's the mayor of Alpharetta, quite popular up there, and he's running for Secretary of State. I am casting my vote for him. Uh, nothing, no disrespect intended to the other guy. I just don't know him. I do know David Bellisle, uh, not well, mind you, uh, but I've had several encounters with him. He's been very, very kind, uh, and the people I know who know him think very highly of him. So that's where I'm going. Now, as for the Kegel-Kemp race, I said on Friday I'm voting for Brian Kemp. Uh, and it looks like he's going to win, you know, my biases and I want you to know my biases because I'm going to give you some campaign analysis here. And uh that campaign analysis is this, it is striking to me that every single other person who ran is now supporting Brian Kemp, whether it's Hunter Hill or Clay Tippins or Michael Williams. I, I saw, uh, Clay Tippins and, Hunter and Michael Williams at the Kemp event. On Friday, they were both there and Clay Tippin spoke from the stage. I introduced him. They've all lined up behind Brian Kemp. And I, I know this is going to come across rude. I don't mean it to. I don't mean it to be insulting. I don't mean it to be as pejorative as it will sound. But I do strongly believe there was a level of campaign arrogance that played out in the Kegel campaign's decision to try to shape the field. What I mean by that is that it was not a sure thing Brian Kemp was going to get into the runoff. Hunter Hill looked like a real possibility, and Clay Tippins had momentum. The Kegel campaign decided to start attacking Hunter Hill and Clay Tippins to ensure that Brian Kemp went into the runoff with them. Instead of focusing on himself... Instead of focusing on the competency issue, instead of focusing on the NRA endorsement issue, he decided to attack these other candidates, which did nothing but make them mad enough to go to Brian Kemp. And with one of them, it made him mad enough to go into Casey Cagle's office and record their private conversation and release it to the press. But for the Cagle campaign, savaging these guys, that probably would not have happened. And then at the end of the campaign, to run an ad that essentially says Donald Trump has endorsed him when he was a Jeb Bush supporter, it wasn't really Donald Trump, they were saying it was Donald Trump's state campaign chairman or whatnot, and you would have never heard that, but for the the, the muffled breath, you would have thought that the president was endorsing him, and to run Uh, campaign mail pieces, the Trump voter guide to the election to say Casey Cagle is the guy, it was strongly implying that the president of the United States had endorsed him. And that I am told by multiple people now, from multiple directions, that level of suggestiveness that the president had his back was the tipping point, the cross the line moment for the White House to be vocal for Brian Kemp. It was a level of campaign arrogance that should not have happened. Make the race about yourself, not about who you want to run against. And the deep irony here is that Gagel is now running against the person he wanted to run against. He shaped the field correctly to get the guy he wanted to run against. And now that guy is probably going to beat him tomorrow. They should not have done that. It was a strategic mistake. And we see this happen many times over around the country, and sometimes it works, oftentimes it doesn't. And this time we'll go in the doesn't work camp. Now, we're going to be here all night tomorrow night taking your phone calls and giving you coverage because it's not just the governor's race tomorrow. There is the runoff for Secretary of State. There is the runoff for Lieutenant Governor. There is the runoff for the Democrats uh, battling for school superintendent. There are also congressional runoffs and there are judicial runoffs tomorrow. It is going to be in state legislative runoffs as well. It's going to be a busy jam-packed night here at WSB tomorrow. We will give you the play-by-play throughout the night. We will have our reporters in key locations. And it's going to be very interesting. I will tell you that a little birdie has told me. And I I guess I should clarify, since I was with the the Kemp people this weekend, this does not come from the Kemp people. It is from an outside group, unaffiliated with the Kemp people, uh, but who has a vested interest, shall we say, in getting Republicans elected into governor's mansions, uh, that they are prepared to come out swinging against Stacey Abrams. There is another report out today. That Georgia is a swing state. If I had a nickel for every time national reporters started running stories that Georgia is a swing state, I would be a multimillionaire. I don't believe we have crossed that line yet, and I'm not sure that we will cross that line. Demography is not destiny, but There are a lot of people who have a vested interest in seeing Stacey Abrams perform very well, not because they expect her to win, but because with 2020, they hope that by 2020, fertile ground will be laid. And so Republicans know this, and they are working overtime to make sure that doesn't happen. And when you have a Democratic candidate on the record that she wants to blow up Stone Mountain, well, you can imagine that the ads are going to be really fun, and there are lots of different ads to take. They're going to do the same to Brian Kemp. They're already trying to make a big, big claim that Brian Kemp threw out 600,000 voters from the voter rolls and all sorts of things. They're going to try to claim that Brian Kemp suppresses the vote and he's cheating to win and all that. The standard Democratic grievances these days, you know, that that they can't win because Republicans cheat. That's essentially what they tell themselves to sleep well at night, as opposed to their candidates are getting more and more radical. And there's news on that front we'll get to when we come back. it's 55 after the hour uh charlie said i probably ought to clarify something and i think he's right uh that and don't don't uh, l- let's not we probably i shouldn't have said that delete that recording so he can't use it against me um i want to clarify this is not a done election um the kegel team i, I said it looks like he's going to be beaten by brian kemp but he could still win Uh, The polling has shifted pretty universally in Kemp's favor, and the crowd sizes have shifted, which no one really expected, myself included. I have always assumed that Kegel would win this thing, being the lieutenant governor, having the state establishment line up against him. And it looks very much like this is a rebellion against the state Republican establishment, uh, by and large on the trust issue. And I really do, at the grassroots level, think that there is something to the RFRA issue, and I know I'm biased on it, uh, but not just that, on campus carry and other issues as well, where time and time again, these Republican leaders in the state have said, we're going to do it, we're going to do it, we're going to do it, and then they don't, or they do it knowing the governor, governor deal would veto it. It was very interesting when Vice President Pence on stage yesterday called Brian Kemp the real deal, the crowd visibly, audibly reacted to it. Uh, Knowing exactly what this sounded like to them was a dig at Governor Deal's endorsement of Casey Cagle because that was always his campaign signs, real deal. Um, but K- kegel can pull this thing out tomorrow if his voters show up uh, both sides voters have to show up it's it's an interesting dynamic though to see the shift at the end uh, the kegel campaign had largely been confident uh, the tippins audio didn't seem to be having an impact and then suddenly you have a bunch of polls coming out saying trust had become the number one issue and the polling started shifting uh, towards the end governor deal endorsed no one expected him to again this is another one of those trust issues he kept saying he was going to stay out he was going to stay out he was going to stay out and then suddenly he didn't stay out out and endorsed the guy everyone kind of expected he was supporting privately anyway. Um, so trust became a big issue and there became a feedback loop. And then the people undecided wanted to see who the president supported and they wanted to support him. And it turned out to be Kemp. We will find out tomorrow night who actually wins this runoff and goes up against Stacey Abrams in the general. It's eight after the hour. Hi, Merrick am Eric Erickson. This is Atlanta's Evening News on WSB. The phone number is 404 872 wsb talk We need to move into national stories, and there is a big story out there that is not getting a ton of national press coverage, and it should This should be the biggest story of the day, and it would be had the president not tweeted. It's probably a good thing he tweeted to overshadow the story. NBC and the Wall Street Journal have come out with new polling. It shows a six percentage point gap between the Republicans and the Democrats in the generic ballot. The Democrats are in the lead by six points. That means that. If the election were held today, the Democrats could expect uh, 6% more support nationwide than Republicans. That's problematic, however, because these this polling is not done in swing districts. This polling is done nationwide. This polling is done in San Francisco, New York, uh, Chicago. I mean, it is spread across the country, not just in swing districts. This goes to a prevailing theory that I and and a number of other people are developing that when you look at the decline of Democratic support on the generic ballot, what we're probably going to see is a Democratic wave in Democratic areas crashing against Republican heights in Republican areas. In other words, the Democrats may be able to take back the House because they only need 23 seats, but there are only nine Republicans in seats that are solidly Democrat. But they may be able to do it because there are some swing seats. But taking back the Senate will be difficult. Taking back state legislatures and governor's mansions will be difficult. It also depends on candidates. And therein lies the rub for the Democrats. And we need to go through some Georgia history in order to make this point more cogent. Even those of you listening nationally, yes, Georgia plays a role in the story. And you need to know this story to understand what's happening in national politics right now. There was, in 2001, with George W. Bush becoming president, a man named Jim Jeffords. He was a Republican senator from Vermont who was very liberal. He obstructed many judicial picks. From the right, he worked with the Democrats a lot, and when George W. Bush became president, the Senate was 50-50. The nation, the Senate was as divided as the nation was, and Jim Jeffords became a Democrat in 2001, handing the Democrats control of the United States Senate. In 2002, Saxby Chambliss ran for the Senate against Max Cleland. And it became a very, very close situation for the Republicans. And that race went into overtime because a Libertarian candidate got enough of a vote to keep Saxby Chambliss from getting, 40, or from getting 50 plus one. And it went into a runoff. Saxby Chambliss versus Max Cleland. Max Cleland then at the time is a Vietnam veteran in a wheelchair and Georgia's secretary of state. Max Cleland had become the United States senator when Paul Coverdale died. And he had used his bona fides as Georgia's secretary of state and in his Vietnam record to secure blue-collar white voters in Georgia. After 9-11, however, George W. Bush wanted to reshape the federal government and combine agencies based on a, a... blue chip commission that had examined what went wrong to cause 9-11 to cause the security problems that led to 9-11 one of the things that they had recommended was to create a new department combine the uh, various branches of various parts of the government including the uh, including uh, the Coast Guard, including the Secret Service, including other departments and branches, and getting bits and pieces of other groups together and build the Department of Homeland Security. Max Cleland was a stumbling block because one of the things that was going to be put into the law that Republicans were blocking was, or that Democrats rather decided to try to block, was that collective bargaining did not exist in the Department of Homeland Security. And Max Cleland and Democrats wanted collective bargaining and union union rules in the Department of Homeland Security. And Saxby, Chambliss, and Republicans began attacking Max Cleland. Now, if you hear Democrats to this day... Democrats, you know, always develop a mythology when they lose, like the Russians stole the election. Well, the Democratic mythology for Max Cleland losing is that he was attacked as being sympathetic to the terrorists, that this Vietnam War veteran was defamed by that awful Saxby Chambliss and accused of, of somehow supporting Al Qaeda. That, that wasn't it at all. This blue ribbon, blue chip commission had said we needed the Department of Homeland Security. And Max Cleland and Democrats were blocking the formation of the Department of Homeland Security in the run-up to war because they wanted the unions to get something out of it. And Saxby Chambliss and the Republicans made this a huge issue, and it became a huge campaign issue. And Democrats cried foul and said, you're defaming this Vietnam War veteran. You're trying to say he's collaborating with or supportive of terrorists or something that wasn't true. That was the national story for Democrats to inflame their sense of grievance against Republicans, but it wasn't actually true. That wasn't the campaign attack ads, and people in Georgia knew it, and Max Cleland lost to Saxby Chambliss. And it was during that time, and then into 2004, when John Kerry ran against George W. Bush, claiming that he had misled the country into war a mission accomplished, all that nonsense, the left-wing attacks, that we started seeing some interesting poll numbers. And those poll numbers that we saw were this. A majority of Americans thought that the Democrats were too far outside the mainstream of power to be trusted with power. Majority of Americans thought the Democrats were too far outside the mainstream of American politics to be trusted with power. For the first time since the 2002 midterms, that data has returned. In the NBC Wall Street Journal poll, 56% of Americans believe the Democrats are too far outside the mainstream of American politics to be trusted with power. Now, 49% of of, of voters want the Democrats to take back the House of Representatives even though some of them think they're outside the mainstream. So some of the people who think they're outside the mainstream, they like that. But that's not good enough when you're going into these swing seats. That's not good enough when you're trying to persuade Republicans to stay home. That's not good enough when you're trying to make the argument that Democrats will hold the president accountable and you've got to vote for us or at least stay home and and give us, the Democrats, the chance. Who wants to do that? You've got Bernie Sanders literally went to Kansas and said, let's turn Kansas red. Now, maybe he misspoke, but it's deeply ironic that the man who honeymooned in the Soviet Union and loves communists and apparently had a guy working for Russia on his campaign fund, saying campaigning with the socialists, saying, let's turn it all red. You see, folks... American reporters today are befuddled, befuddled that the American public is not concerned with the president in Russia. The American public is not as concerned with that as they are the Soviets in America trying to take over Congress. It is amazing today. James Comey, James Comey, that James Comey on social media lamented the Democrats are drifting so far left. They could potentially lose the opportunity to take back Congress. He was savaged by these Soviet Americans. Who are horrified he would dare cast doubt on their la resistance victory but that's what's happening you may think the democrats should take back congress to hold the president accountable you may think it's a good thing but more and more americans are looking at the democrats championing a know-nothing kid from Brooklyn who doesn't know the first thing about economics when she's got an economics degree and she's championing communism and socialism. You see the Democrats propping up people like Kamala Harris and Bernie Sanders and the like, championing the this free speech authoritarians on college campuses who can abide no criticism. The American public is a little bit concerned. They're far more concerned with the Democrats right now than they are with the Russians. And who can blame them? Because the Russians may be an external threat to to the United States, but internally in the United States, we've got actual communists trying to take over the Congress. And it's bearing out in the polling. And the Democrats are starting to freak out about it. And they probably should. This should not be a national story. I, by the way, I, I feel I should, and this isn't even a thinking thing. This actually is a feel thing. I, I feel I should apologize to you if if I sound like I'm whistling or something. I kind of am. I think I've mentioned before, I have been wearing braces, and I actually took them out. Uh, they're those Invisalign braces, which actually, they, they work. I didn't actually believe they would work. Uh, but I just had some dental quackery when I was a kid and it's starting to cause problems. And, uh, one of the easy fixes was wearing these Invisalign braces and and reshaping my teeth, but I took them out and now I've got such gaps between some of my teeth. I sound like a kid who's lost his front teeth and I'm, I'm trying not to whistle the microphone. Oh my goodness. Um, nonetheless. This is a story that should not be a national story, but it is a national story because like a snowstorm in New York City, the media is obsessed with it. And that is the New York Daily News has seen massive cuts, 50% of the newsroom cut. The editor-in-chief, Jim Rich, is out Tronk, uh, which is the Tribune news group or some such, their online Content, uh, yes, Tribune Online Content, uh, Tronk, whoever came up with that. They've been causing all sorts of problems around the country. Apparently, people are really upset with them. They're trying to make some money out of newspapers. The editor-in-chief now ousted, Jim Rich, tweeted out, if you hate democracy and think local governments should operate unchecked and in the dark, then today is a good day for you. The New York Daily News decided to become the editorial mouthpiece of La Résistance. You will remember the obnoxiously horrible headlines, the front pages after various shootings where they were demanding gun control in America. They've had savage headlines about the president and Republicans. They've had savage headlines about the NRA. They've had savage headlines about gun rights groups. Uh, on and on and on it went. The New York Daily News has been a very left wing publication for a very long time, and it has not helped. And in the age of La Resistance, what they have decided to do is become more and more aggressively left wing, and it hasn't helped them. It has turned off part of their readership, and now they're struggling. It was bought, it, Trump bought the New York Daily News from Mort Zuckerman for a dollar. A dollar. And now they're doing layoffs. This shouldn't be a big story, but of course it's media layoffs, so the media is all about it. I feel bad for the people losing their jobs, but this was predictable. It's 38 after the hour. Eric Erickson here, News 95.5 AM 750 WSB. The phone number is four zero four eight seven two zero seven five zero one eight hundred. W S B Talk. I'm going to check the radar right now. Why? Because we have rain in the area. There is rain in Doraville over two eighty five, but it's very light. There is rain over 75 just south of Vining's around the West Pace's ferry area and over I20 very near the connector and then near the airport there is rain now that's it, none of it is very heavy other than the stuff by in Vining's but there is a strong band of storms in the Villa Rica Douglasville area Uh, It is north of the interstate. It is headed south, however, so you just need to be careful. If you're headed past Douglasville on I-20, you are probably going to get in the rain. In the same way, south of Noonan, uh, there are storms developing. Everything is moving in a southerly direction. Stuff is blowing through. And then McDonough, you're probably going to get rain here in the next 15, 20 minutes uh, because there's a storm cell headed your way. Now, I bring all that up because we're going to have more storms moving through the area in the next couple of days. We had those, those terrible ones Saturday morning and again last night that blew through the area. I have a friend who was supposed to meet someone this morning and the guy called and had to cancel because the lightning struck. I didn't even know this. I mean, lightning strike anything, I guess, but I've never heard of this happening before. Lightning struck the water meter at this guy's house and it exploded and sent water just everywhere uh eroded out the pressure was so strong they had to call the water company in the middle of the night to come out and try to stop it uh it was a mess apparently this guy's house just i've never heard of that happening before but the lightning was just crazy last night now the war storms further south if you're headed down 85 uh towards columbus i'm going to Tune my radar out now because there really isn't any major stuff, just those hit or miss showers, some of them strong. And I want to talk about something that you may have thought had gone away, but it has not Brett Kavanaugh. Brett Kavanaugh, I started to say running for Supreme Court. It almost sounds like a campaign. There is a campaign to get Brett Kavanaugh not elected, but appointed to the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, Millions of dollars are from the Judicial Confirmation Judicial Crisis Network. Now, full disclosure, Judicial Confirmation Network is a sponsor of the resurgent gathering. I'm going to have several of their top leaders at the event uh, next Friday to talk about the path to the confirmation hearing for brett kavanaugh and and this will be one of the things that we're talking about they have released some polls they hired a, a real pollster not a robo pollster and it turns out that despite the national headlines that brett kavanaugh is deeply unpopular no one as unpopular as this guy has ever been put on the supreme court Well, it doesn't matter in a nation this divided because not every U.S. senator is up for election. But what we're finding is that in Indiana, West Virginia, Alabama, and in North Dakota, supporting Kavanaugh is a popular position. Now, Doug Jones is not on the ballot in Alabama. But it's going to be interesting to see if he opposes the guy. Because Alabama voters, a majority of Alabama voters not a plurality, but a majority, want Kavanaugh on the Supreme Court. A majority of voters in North Dakota, Indiana, and West Virginia want Brett Kavanaugh on the Supreme Court. Will Heidi Heitzkamp, who has a strong Republican challenger, really vote against him. Will Joe Donnelly who has a strong Republican challenger really vote against him? Will Joe Manchin who has a really strong Republican challenger vote against him? Joe Manchin in West Virginia is a very popular savvy politician but people are starting to get the joke that Manchin votes like a liberal in years that he's not on the ballot and in years he's on the ballot he votes like a conservative and Republicans now through social media and whatnot, can call him out in ways they never have been able to in the past and he's running against Patrick Morrissey who is the state attorney general. He won statewide as a Republican. He is a longtime Republican. He's a very nice guy. We tried to get him to the gathering, but they've got big campaign events next weekend, so they couldn't come. And he's running against Joe Manchin and and giving him a run for his money. I have a hard time believing Manchin, who's already come out on the record, by the way, and said Brett Kavanaugh is highly qualified. I have a hard time believing he's going to vote against the guy. If anything, you free up a Republican like Susan Collins to vote against him because you're probably going to pick up Democrats. So I have a real hard time seeing that these Democrats vote against Mansion, but or vote against Kavanaugh. But Democrats are running the board on trying to get left wing interest groups to put pressure on the rest of the Democratic Party. You've got people like Cory Booker, Elizabeth Warren, Kamala Harris. They look in the mirror every morning and say, "Mr. President." Or Madam President, as the case may be, or what do they say? It President, maybe for for if they've so bought into gender neutrality, what the, what do they call themselves? Not Mister, not Madam President, Z uh, President. I don't know. Nonetheless, they're going to oppose Kavanaugh because they can't make it through a Democratic primary in twenty twenty without opposing Kavanaugh. And the Democrats don't have anything really to oppose him. You can tell the Democrats don't have anything with which to substantively, substantively oppose Kavanaugh because they're complaining that there are too many pieces of paper to sort through. They're complaining that they haven't gotten all this paper they want to sort through. This is the best they can do, that there's too much paper and they haven't gotten enough. That's actually the Democrat's argument right now, that things are being kept to me. He has completed an over 100-page questionnaire And more than 5,000 pieces of paper have been given to each member of the Senate. You know, at some point, some Democrats are going to come out and say, we can't confirm this guy because we're going to kill all the trees if we do. There's so much paperwork. It's good for the environment to vote against him because of the death of the trees. It's only a matter of time before somebody comes up with a crazy excuse like that at the rate they're going. They don't have anything, but liberal interest groups are really organized for this in a way they weren't with Neil Gorsuch, which is kind of a funny way to, of spinning it when you think about it, because what was the deal with the Gorsuch situation? They knew it was coming because Scalia had died. And so it's really funny to hear the Democratic spin say, oh, they're much better organized this time. How much more organized can you be from a surprise appointment to one that you knew was coming for six months? But that's, what, I mean, seriously, y'all, I'm not making that up. That's actually an axios today that the Democrats are much better prepared this time for the Kavanaugh nomination than they were the Gorsuch nomination. Maybe for the individual nomination, I guess, but they knew it was coming. And it's just and, and they had a list the last time, too. Gorsuch was on that list last time, too. It's just funny to hear the Democrats trying to make it sound like uh, they can throw up legitimate opposition when they're the ones who scrapped the filibuster. So they can't throw up legitimate opposition to Kavanaugh. There's no way they can stop this appointment. And deep down, they all know it and they know it's their fault, too. It's 54 after the hour. Y'all, there's still time to sign up for the Resurgent Gathering. If you want to come text the word Austin, A-U-S-T-I-N, to 345-345, we may have a couple surprises up our sleeve as well. Um, It's going to be a fun time in Austin, Texas. Now, we need to move into other news of the day. The most important thing you'll hear actually no this is so ridiculous and i've debated all day whether or not to bring up the story and i've just decided it it it, it is one of those stories that should be talked about there is a couple it is only a couple but you know it's a trend in nbc I wanted to highlight them in the most positive way possible it's a couple in cambridge massachusetts uh an mit guy and, and his wife and They've got two children, and they're referring to them as their they bees. Not babies, but they bees. Because they don't want anyone, including the kids, to know if the kids are a boy or a girl. They let the kids decide what they started out in neutral palettes, non sex determinative palettes of clothing. In, in, in palettes, by clo- clothing, I mean color. And let the kids decide. And one likes pink boots. And I just... I'm hesitant to go too far in these stories because I don't want to expose the kids, but I just think this is a level of parental malpractice. And there are numerous well-documented studies out there, contrary to what the left would have you believe, that, believe it or not, kids actually begin to develop innately uh, the... Gender distinctions that you'll find more and more, not all boys, but a lot of boys will gravitate towards trucks and cars and girls will gravitate towards dolls and princesses. And if they don't, okay, no big deal. But they tend to, and it has nothing to do with the environment. Even in couples, there's a, a great essay several years ago about a, a family that did this and their boy and their girl wound up being fully boy and fully girl, even though the parents fought it much more so i mean this couple is just saying we're gonna let them decide whether they're a boy or girl. first of all how do you do this? this is so and you know i'm sure that this is one of those couples that gets really upset about global warming because the science says and scientists say and yet they they think this there really is no scientific evidence that there you can do this i mean you're either a boy or you're a girl and it depends on birth and it's pretty freaking obvious When you change that first diaper and the gust of wind hits, it depends. You behave in a different way between it's a baby boy and it's a baby girl. Because let me tell you, otherwise you're going to get peed on. Because one's a boy and one's a girl and it matters. And it's just, it's ridiculous to me to see all these people who believe science has become their god and science says global warming and science says this, that, and the other, uh, suddenly, told, oh no, science doesn't talk about gender distinctions. Oh yes, science does. And one day you will be humbled by the very same science you claim to worship and yet you are rejecting, in this case, babies. It's just a nonsensical leftist social nonsense thing.